Okay, are you okay up there? Returning to Acts one more time, we read together the last part of chapter 7, the stoning of Stephen. He probably was unmarried at this time, young, so never had a chance to get married and have a family. He was faithful in preaching the Lord Jesus, but he was one of the first martyrs for the faith, even before... Uh, the disciples started to die for Christ. A few chapters from now we'll see that James, the son of John, is, is uh, put to death by Herod. But Stephen is one of the earliest martyrs for Christ. You've probably heard the word martyr. The word literally means a witness, but it's come to become a person who dies for Christ, for his faith. <clears throat> And uh, what I'd like us to consider this afternoon is uh, the times that Jesus appears from heaven to his people. We looked at his, his enthronement, his coronation today. As you know, Charles will be coronated on Saturday. He became king uh, when his mother passed, but his coronation will come 240 days after his accession to the throne. Well, there's a similar experience of the Lord Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead. At that point, in in a real sense, He acceded to the throne. He became the King of Saints by His death, burial, and resurrection. But it was 40 days before He actually went to heaven and was crowned. And that 40 days of His post-resurrection appearances are proof that He was raised from the dead. They saw Him. He wasn't a he wasn't a a, uh, a phantom. It wasn't it wasn't uh, just a temporal temporary appearance. They saw him in the upper room. They saw him on a road to a town. They saw him at a seashore. Uh, they saw him outside the tomb. They saw him on a mountain. So he was seen in various places, and uh, they heard him speak. They saw him eat. He uh, he uh, was there to uh, teach them that he was indeed the same Savior. He showed them his, his wounds. And so his post-resurrection appearances verified his resurrection, magnified his death, certified the gospel that would be ready for use to preach to the world that he is the Savior for the, to those who trust in him and and ask forgiveness of their sins and to build up to edify the church. Uh, The disciples were really stirred to obedience because they saw the resurrected Christ. If they believed that He was still dead, there would not have been the motivation to preach Him. If He's still in the grave and His body has decomposed, then our message is is, uh, void. We have no message. We have no promise of eternal life. The fact that Jesus raised from the dead, uh, rose from the dead, was raised from the dead, uh, indicates that his his death was successful, and that he can give us the hope of the resurrection. Isn't it a wonderful thing that this is not it? Uh, there's an eternity ahead, and 
what a blessing to, if you know Christ to have the hope of eternity with Him. But we also find that He appeared to certain disciples again, but this time from heaven. And uh, not well, while He was walking on the earth. And I'd like us to think about those appearances of Christ. Those were Christ's appearances from the throne. Uh, and Again, it's indicative that he's alive and well and he rules the world because he's in heaven at God's right hand. He's above all the nations of the world. And this, this morning, you remember, there were some evidences that were noted the fact that Jesus is the king of all kings and presidents. He doesn't have a paper throne. I mean, Charles' throne is just image. There's no real power. He doesn't make any laws. And uh, <clears throat> matter of fact, many of the English people say you're you're uh, draining the dollars of the tax dollars of the citizens. Uh, but he is the head of the state. But really, there's no power, no enact, enactment of laws. But Jesus is not a puppet king. Jesus reigns. He doesn't share his reign. He doesn't look to others to make laws. He makes the laws. He's the king. So he is the executive. He is the legislative, and he is the judicial. He's everything. <clears throat> and it's interesting how he did appear, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> he did appear after he went to heaven and sat down. And we looked at the first one when Stephen was uh, finished preaching his sermon, found here in Acts chapter 7, it's recorded that just before they stoned him, that he looked up to heaven. You see that in verse, 50, at verse 56. And he sa it says, He saw heaven opened, and the Son of Man, that is the Lord Jesus, standing on the right hand of God. And that's when the people went berserk. They, they believed that Jesus was a criminal. They crucified him. They thought he was blaspheming, that he called himself the Son of God. And here Stephen looks up and he says that he sees him in heaven standing on the right hand of God. And that was too much for the enemies of the gospel. And we're told that they rushed him out of the city and they stoned him. And keep in mind that a leader that was at that scene and giving his, his, uh, his agreement to it was Saul. So keep that name Saul in mind. It says they stoned Stephen. It was a very ugly scene. And uh, while he was being stoned, he called upon the name of the Lord. He prayed. And this was his prayer. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this to their charge. He wasn't bitter toward those who were killing him. He actually prayed for their souls. And then he, and then he died fell asleep. That's a euphemism, obviously. But this is an appearance of the Lord Jesus. And remember that what we considered this morning was when He went to heaven after His ascension, you remember Jesus ascended to heaven on what's called Ascension Thursday. It was 40 days after His resurrection. And if we do the math, that would be on a Thursday. And when He went to heaven, He sat down. He was enthroned. He was coronated. But he was sitting. But did you notice what he's doing here? He's standing. 
And the conclusion that we make is that he's standing ready to greet Stephen in the heaven. Stephen was a godly man, a servant. He was saved. He had to be, he had to be forgiven like anyone else. He was a Christian. And he was faithful to preach that Jesus Christ was the promised Redeemer and the only Savior of God's elect. And that got him in trouble. It's all that got him in trouble. He simply preached the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so... He uh, just made a statement. He didn't mean it to provoke the crowd. It's just that he sensed. I don't know if he was sensing he was going to die. He certainly could tell that the people were uh, not too happy with him. It says they gnashed on him with their teeth. Uh, but before that, he certainly could sense that they weren't happy with what he was trying to say. But... What caught his attention at that moment, even before he was stoned, was that he could look up and see into heaven. Obviously, it was a miracle, but how far is heaven from here? We don't know. could be closer than we think. But he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And so this is one of the, the few occurrences of Jesus actually from his throne appearing to speak to or to show himself to certain disciples. And I'd like us just to think about those few occurrences and what they, how they might be applied. In this case, Jesus is greeting a saint who's dying. And that's a great comfort. You know, it's a, it's a scary thing, no doubt, to die. I can't speak from experience, but I've been in, at deathbeds and some are serene, some are peaceable, some are they're just not conscious and they don't really know what's happening, but some are afraid. You know, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to be afraid. Paul could say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus promises disciples, uh, he said, let not your heart be troubled. They were troubled, but he said he was leaving and they were thinking, what are we going to do now? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So Jesus was equating himself with God. He was God. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So he was promising his disciples that to leave earth was not to just go into darkness or, or uh, to, uh, to just be annihilated. So many different ideas about what happens to people after they die. Some religions believe in reincarnation. If you're not good, you might turn into a, a frog. If you're, if you're good, you might turn into a prince. And, you know, these kind of fictitious things. And some believe in annihilation. If you don't know Jesus, you, you'll just be annihilated. But Jesus taught, the Bible teaches that the soul continues to be alive. And God has a, a, a paradise and God has a prison. And we know that those are the two places that await those who die. And it, but if you know Jesus and you trust Him as your Savior and you can be sure that he, from the God's Word that He died on the cross for you, then you can be assured of eternal life and not be afraid to die. Stephen wasn't afraid to die. Isn't it interesting? He didn't cry out uh, about being afraid to die. He cried for the salvation of those that were, were stoning Him. He was praying for those that were actually putting him to death. 
But Jesus stood up. And how else can we interpret that as Jesus was assuring Stephen that he was coming to heaven, but that Jesus was there to greet him. I don't know if that tells us we can't infer from that that every time a Christian dies that Jesus stands to greet him. But Stephen certainly saw Jesus standing. Stephen was greeted by the Lord when he went to heaven. He was an ordinary Christian. He was a a deacon in the church. He wasn't an elder or a a preacher per se, but he certainly knew a lot of the Old Testament. Uh, This is before we, we read about Paul, how he learned how to apply the Old Testament. But Stephen had a great knowledge of the Bible. And he wasn't a preacher per se. And it's a real challenge to any every Christian, not just those that are called to preach, that we should have a, a very good knowledge of God's Word and especially be able to use the Old Testament to preach Jesus. And so, this first appearance of Jesus was to assure us that He is preparing a place for us in heaven. That he is in heaven and that He's ready to greet saints who go there. I mean, that's a simple message that I believe we can apply from this. In Psalm 116, verse 15, it says, Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of His saints. Now, isn't that a comforting verse? Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of His saints. Death is a butler into heaven for a Christian. Death should not be something that's that's feared. I mean, no one wants us. No one wants to face it. I mean, it, 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 I, I'm not overjoyed to think that I'm going to die. But, you know, it, it takes this... As a matter of fact, the Bible says death does not, long, does not have a stinger anymore. Its sting is gone, and yet it's still like a bee. I, I, even if a bee didn't have a stinger and it was flying around me, I still would be a little bit, you know, um, wary of it. I don't like bees in the first place. I like to watch them, but I don't like to watch them sting me. And I, by the way, I was stung driving a bus in Pennsylvania many years ago. The uh, cheerleading teacher thought she was doing a favor when the, bu- the, the, the cheerleaders that I was driving to Pennsylvania opened up the roof hatches in the bus, but they opened them wrong way. When you open roof hatches, you open them so that when, that when it hits a bee, it stays outside. But they opened them, so when the bus went down, they went inside. So a bumblebee was in the back of the bus, and it was flying forward and the screams were coming closer and closer and it got to about the second seat and the coach thought she was helping and she took her notebook and she slapped the thing right down my shirt. <laughs> and so on a, there, were no, there were no shoulders on the road and I just remember I'm actually holding my cool. Normally I, I, I freak out when a bee is anywhere near me but I held the steering wheel with my left hand and I pulled the bumblebeam out with my other hand and it was flopping and you know the, the wings and it really didn't hurt that much the, the, it was about a, a red mark that much and I gave her you know jet stream or a little little wind uh, what's that uh, yeah propulsion out the window but this it had a stinger, but you know, if I knew it didn't have a stinger, I probably wouldn't have been so afraid. But um, no one likes to face death, but the Lord Jesus taught us how to face it. 
And we can say like the psalm or the, like the prophet, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Because when Jesus died, he rose again. Death could not keep him down. And he ascended to heaven. And Christians are promised eternal life. And so that's the first time that Jesus appears after he has gone to heaven and been coronated. He chooses to, to appear to a, a dying saint. And that says something, doesn't it? He knows that death is not a pleasant experience. He knows that death is an enemy. And so he, he appears for the first time after he's gone to heaven to a Christian who's dying. And the Bible's written for our learning. And so we ought to see that in the same light, that even though death is not easy, it's not pleasant, for a Christian, it's like someone that's escorting us into heaven. And if we look at it that way and know that soon we'll be with the Lord, it takes away the, the, uh, the terror of it. And it should. Now, I'm preaching to myself as I preach this afternoon. My hope is if I have, maybe I'll be unconscious before I die. I don't know. Or I'll die quickly by an accident. But if, if I'm on a deathbed and I have my senses, I would trust that I'm going to be taking the assurance verses to heart. And especially this one, to know that Jesus is there, ready to greet me, because He died for me, and He is my Savior, and I don't have to fear what lies beyond death, because He's already told us what lies beyond death. There's heaven to gain. The second time that Jesus appears is to the one that's called Saul here. Isn't it the grace of God? Saul was the man that was a Pharisee. He was a, he was a religious teacher. He did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He thought he was a criminal. And so Saul was no doubt agreeing with those who crucified Jesus. And he thought when Jesus died, that's the end of that uh, criminal. And so when Stephen is preaching Christ, Paul, or Saul at this time, his, his original name was Saul, and that's a Hebrew name. Remember King Saul in the Old Testament before King David. And so Saul was there and apparently in a leadership position because it says they threw their cloaks at his feet. You know, obviously the gruesome thought there is you, you can't pick up a large stone to throw it at someone if you, have a, if you have a robe on. And they wore robes. And so they took their robes off and they put them at Saul's feet, which means he was obviously a ringleader. He was a leader there. And then they took up stones and, and they... They hurled them at Stephen and put him to death. But Saul was the one that was the arch enemy here. He was the one that was calling for the death of Stephen. But notice just two chapters later, two chapters, just a little while later, this same Saul is, is traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus. And Damascus is one of the oldest cities in the world in Syria. And Saul was going to Damascus to arrest Christians. He was going to put Christians... First of all, he was going to arrest them, bring them uh, to Jerusalem to be put on trial and to have them put to death. Well, do you think that Saul would have been the first one that Christians were praying for his salvation? What do you think, how do you think Christians were praying for Saul? Lord, judge him. Lord, deal with him. Stop him from, from creating more havoc. But notice what, how the Lord chooses to deal with Saul. 
It says that as he was journeying, this is in Acts chapter 9, just two chapters later, Acts 9 verse, uh, first of all it says, talk about a dragon, and saw yet breathing out threatenings. Doesn't it sound like we've been talking about a dragon, dragons lately, dinosaurs. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, and he went to the high priest and desired him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if any found, if he found any of this way, that is, those who preached Christ, Jesus, whether they were men or women, women did not get a, a, a pass, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. That's how furious he was. That's how hateful he was. He would take fathers and mothers from homes and make orphans of children without, and make widows or widowers without the slightest bit of guilt. It says that as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. And the story goes that this was the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Now he later becomes Paul. Paul is, the, is a word that means short or small. And so probably he was short or small. And uh, he was converted. Jesus actually speaks to him from his throne in heaven and strikes him down off his horse. The Bible says he was struck with blindness and for three days he was blind. And the Lord sends a Christian over to him. You can read the rest of it at another time. A man named Ananias is told to, to go and lay his hands on Saul and, and tell him that he's a, a preacher now of the Lord. And Ananias is, is uh, questioning the Lord's uh, wisdom. Saying, wait, I heard this, is, this guy's the arch enemy of the church. And you're going to tell me to go in the same house where he's living, where he's staying? And the Lord put him at ease, set him at ease and said, This man is an elect. This man is a child of God now. And so, in this case, the Lord speaks from heaven to convert a soul. So He's showing us the importance that the Lord makes of someone who's dying and going to heaven. It's a saint, it's a child of God that's, that's being brought up to glory. And how important it is for souls to be saved. That He would actually convert a soul by Himself from heaven. Now we know anytime the Lord converts a soul, He does it by Himself. We don't have to help Him, but He uses us to preach the Gospel. But we can't save a soul. I can't forgive sins. I can't take away sins. We have no power to put a new heart in someone like it's been put in us. That only is God's prerogative. But here the Lord also preaches to him and, and shows that he doesn't necessarily need us or angels, but God loves to delegate. That's the way it is. You know, he told Adam to name the animals. God could have done that himself. He loves to delegate. And he, if he delegated the gospel preaching to angels, they'd have, they'd have preached throughout the world by now. We take so long, don't we? But 
The Lord spoke to Saul. Notice he uses his name twice. And that's, if you follow that in the Bible, whenever God uses someone's name twice, basically he's saying, I know you. I'm well aware of who you are. You're, you're, you're mine. You're special to me. Like he said to Moses at the burning bush, Moses, Moses. And uh, he said, Martha, Martha, when he was trying to rescue her from anxiety. And here he says, Saul, Saul. And so these are all, this is a pattern you read from the early part of the Bible all the way through. This is saying, I know who you are. I'm well aware. And he said, uh, why are you persecuting the church? It's time for you now to become part of the church. It's time for you to now become a friend. He could have destroyed Saul if he wanted to, but he didn't. He chose to save him. Now, you know, you look back in history and you see people who have been enemies of, of humankind and enemies of the church, like Hitler and Mussolini and, and some, you know, murderers in the past. Sometimes the Lord doesn't choose to save people like that. He lets them perish. And He, he judges them for their sin. But in other cases... We read in the Bible who are people who are arch enemies of the gospel are actually converted to Jesus Christ. And Saul was an arch enemy, and the Lord chose to save him, and then he became a great friend of the gospel. And it wasn't long before they started to persecute him, and they wanted to put him to death. That shows you the fickleness of man. But what I'm trying to say is the Lord chose just a few incidences to appear or to speak to people from heaven. And I, and I think that we, as we see a sampling of these, we see what's very important to the Lord. The Lord finds, tells us it's very important for Him to comfort us or to greet us when we leave this earth because He knows death is an enemy and, and uh, death is not a pleasant experience. And He's, he's showing us that, that He's right near us. Just like Psalm 23 says, Though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, what? Thou art with me. And he's showing Stephen that. He was right there to receive Stephen. Uh, We don't have to go through death alone. Even though, say, even if we're in a faraway place and we we die in a faraway place, how many of our soldiers, how many believers were at war and were soldiers and had to die alone on a battlefield? But you know... Believers who are dying don't die alone. Jesus is with them. He's ready to take them to glory. Plus, He shows us that He speaks to this Saul of Tarsus to save him from his sins. How important it is for souls to be saved. 1 Corinthians 15.8 says, Paul says, And last of all, Jesus was seen of me as of one born out of due time. Um, That's an interesting statement, as one born out of due time. It may be translated abnormally born. We're not sure what Paul means there. It, it could mean that you know he was unworthy of salvation. Uh, the way he lived was was to wreak havoc to the people of God. But it also could have the idea of the man was not a very handsome man. And some may refer to that because he said he had some kind of real eye oozing problem uh, that may be indicated in, in Galatians. But isn't it interesting how the Lord would choose a man that the world might not say is handsome, but yet God used him mightily. It's very parallel to the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the only person that could choose the face that he would wear. 
All of us, we get what we, we get what we got. Uh, we couldn't choose the parents that we that we uh, that we had. We couldn't choose the face that we had. But Jesus could choose the face that He had. He's God, and and He became man. But you know what the Bible says of Jesus? He was not handsome. That's how Isaiah seems to describe him. He was not of. How I, I'm trying to paraphrase. He was. Uh, he had no former comeliness that we should admire him. I think that's a description not of the gory sight after they tortured him. I, I think that's actually a description of the kind of face that he had. He did not have an attractive face to the view of man, to the carnal man. And he was the one that could choose that. That just tells us that the beauty is skin deep, isn't it? And we ought to see beauty in a person's soul uh, even more important than beauty or handsomeness in a person's face. But Jesus speaks to Saul of Tarsus and saves his soul. And so we see that he's, he's there to cheer a saint who dies. He's there. He's in heaven reigning as king to convert sinners and dangerous sinners at that uh, as, he, as he sits at God's right hand. And that's an example of what Jesus is doing at the right hand of God. He's saving souls. And this is a day that the gospel is preached all through the world. It's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. And to think how many souls He has saved as He sits at God's right hand is uh, something we'll discover in due time when we get to heaven. Well, the next occurrence is just a couple more. So we have Stephen and we have Saul. And now we have a man named Peter. I think everybody knows who Peter is. One of the one of the twelve apostles. Well, in chapter ten, Peter is is hungry, and he goes up on top of the house to uh, to take a nap. You know, they they I don't know if you have a roof or we might call it a a a balcony, but you know their houses were flat and they had ladders going up to the top, and Peter found that as a place where he could get some cool air and he could take a nap. I don't know where you like to take a nap, but uh, it's nice to have cool air and to have fresh air, especially on a warm day, and it's very warm in the Middle East. So we read in, in Acts chapter 10, just one more chapter over, in verse 13, while Peter was going to meditate, he fell asleep, we're told, and there came a voice to him, verse 13, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou uncommon or common. It happened three times. Peter was so stubborn he couldn't get the, the message the first time. Three times he had to be told. Now what's happening here? Uh, you know, the, Jew, the Jews had dietary laws. They couldn't eat pork and and many other things, and there were uh, there there were gospel lessons to those dietary laws that are for another time. But now those dietary laws had passed since Christ rose from the dead, so now pork was okay. But the Lord wasn't just teaching Peter about the end of dietary laws. A sheet is dropped down from heaven, and, and Peter sees pigs and creatures that they weren't supposed to eat. And he hears the Lord say, go ahead and eat, Peter. 
And Peter corrects the Lord. And he says, no, Lord, I can't eat anything like that. It's not permissible. And, he, and the Lord says, I've made it permissible. I'm paraphrasing. Eat it. And so it happens three times. And then Peter finds out that there are men at the door. They're not Jews, they're Gentiles. And they're calling for Peter to come and visit a centurion, a Gentile, and preach to him. And so the, Peter's getting the spiritual lesson. Don't call the Gentiles dogs. They're, I, I'm going to save Gentiles as well as Jews. I'm gonna, I love to save people from every nation. And so, so important was it for the Lord to counsel Peter because he would be a, he's the spokesman and he certainly his message from Christ is going to disseminate to the apostles and to Christians. The Lord is counseling Peter that no one should be off limits to preach the gospel. That every soul needs Christ. And we ought not be prejudiced about who we bring the message to. Whatever color, whatever nation, whatever language, we're to get the message out to the whole world. Jesus died for all race. Well, there's one race. It's the human race. He died for all peoples, all tongues, all nations. And so, he wanted to bring this message from heaven to Peter. Because Peter was prejudiced. And we find even in the rest of Scripture that there came a time where Peter had a fear of man and he separated from the Gentiles because the Jews came to town. And Paul had to stand up against Peter and say, you're being a hypocrite. You're going, you're going contrary to the message that you got from heaven. You told us about Jesus speaking to you from heaven saying, you ought not call anyone common or unclean. And so that's a message that should ring to us. It's important to Jesus. so important He spoke from heaven to Peter about it. And I hope that there isn't any prejudice in any of us toward any language or color or people group that's in the world. That, and, and you know, we can be naturally prejudiced. May I say this as Caucasian, Caucasian people, we can be naturally prejudiced if we've been raised like that especially. And we need to get that prejudice out of us. And you'll, the only way you can get, get it out of us is by seeing Christ. Jesus preached to different people groups, men and women and children. There was no respecter of persons. There was no prejudice of that sort. And He wants the church to be free of that kind of hatred and and, uh, pride and prejudice. And so, He appears to Peter in this light. He had to inculcate the truth in him. And he had to speak three times to clarify it to him. That's the third time that Jesus appears as king from his throne. And I think that this is the fourth and last time we find him uh, appearing. And we find him next to to not only to to Paul this time, not, not Saul who was unsaved, but now to Paul who became a convert of Christ. Chapter 18. Chapter 18 of Acts. Now Paul is seeing the Lord work mightily in the, in the city of Corinth. Paul's been preaching the Gospel. He's on his missionary journeys. You can follow them in the book of Acts. He has three missionary journeys before he's finally taken to Rome as a prisoner 
He is released from prison in Rome, but then later he, he is decapitated for his faith. He, he dies for Christ. But in, in Acts, you find his journeys after he becomes a Christian. And I believe he's on his second missionary journey here, and he's in Corinth. And we're told, look at verse 11. Or wait a minute, let's, uh, let's back up just a little bit. Let's look at verse 8 first. Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. And so Paul's seeing a lot of success there. He's not getting a lot of persecution at this point. He stays, we're told, uh, for a considerable amount of time, a year and six months, a year and a half. But we notice... First of all, we see the leader of the synagogue, a religious man, getting saved. And so religious people need to be saved as well as irreligious people. Just because someone's religious doesn't mean that they're a Christian. I mean, I was a, a religious person, if you call someone going to church once a week, for 18 years, and I didn't get converted until I, after I was hitchhiking in West Virginia and got a, a ride home to my dorm and was invited by someone to to church to preach the gospel. But it says here that this religious leader of the synagogue got saved and his house believed on the Lord. But notice it says many, not a few, many of the Corinthians heard the word, believed on Christ, and were baptized. And so Paul's seeing the Lord work mightily in this city. And it's interesting that right after this point, is exactly when the Lord meets with him. You would think, why would the Lord need to meet with someone who's having a lot of, who's seeing a lot of blessing upon his ministry? You'd think you, someone that's, you know, feeling like he's a failure. People aren't believing. He's getting a lot of persecution. Now he got, he Stephen got that comfort, didn't he? As well as the, the cheer, the greeting. But there is a different fear that can overcome someone. You can have a fear when you're not seeing the Lord work that maybe you're a failure. And you can have a fear when you're seeing the Lord work that you know, you're, you're not capable of handling such a blessing. Or that you, know, you sense the attack of the devil. You, know, you have a mark on your back when you're serving the Lord and the Lord is working through you. Because you're in the front line. You're on the front line. The devil's going to attack the front line. And so perhaps we're sensing that Paul was starting to be a little bit afraid of you know, what's going to happen. He's already been persecuted. This is after chapter 16. Remember, in chapter 16, he's in jail. They've beaten him uh, 39 times and ripped his skin open on the front and the back. And so Paul's, Paul has been stoned, chapter 14. He's been whipped and, and uh, imprisoned, chapter 16. And now... He's probably sensing, I'm in, really, I'm, in real, I'm in real trouble seeing so many people being converted. That's just a guess on my part. But notice it says right after that, Then spake the Lord to Paul, this is verse 9, chapter 18, In the night by a vision, be not afraid. So there is some fear there. Literally it can read, stop fearing. But speak and hold not thy peace. So maybe we're reading between the lines he was getting some threats. No more of this gospel. You're changing too many families. You're altering too many marriages. 
When you think about it, you read the Bible, when, it, when, when, when there are two people that aren't serving the Lord and one gets saved, there starts to be a little bit of a, a tiff there. And the same with a family. You get a child. When I was converted, I went home to Syracuse and I said, we need to be saved. We've got to, you're not born a Christian. You become a Christian when the Lord turns your heart. And my family thought I was in a cult. It was November of 1978. And guess what happened in November of 1978? Jim Jones took 900 people to uh, Guyana and gave them poisonous Kool-Aid. And I remember one of my family members saying, what about this Jim Jones thing? Is that what you're part of? And I don't even remember if I knew anything about Jim Jones. I said, I don't know about Jim Jones, but I know about what Jesus says. That a person must be born of the Spirit to see the kingdom of God. And then he says, I am with you, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. He's already saved some. So, this is to, may I say, this is to cheer a saint that's starting to feel, you know, pressure from the outside, maybe from the inside. And Jesus felt it necessary for him to speak from his throne. Now, he could have spoke through other Christians to Saul, which is the normal Paul, which is the normal case in our day. Jesus just doesn't open heaven and speak to us. He's given us his word. But in his case, he as it were reaches over the battlements of heaven and says, "Paul, keep it up. You're on target. You know, you're doing right. I'm with you. And don't stop." So Paul was starting to fear that maybe he was sensing persecution was brewing and, and things were happening that weren't that didn't make some people very happy. But the Lord Jesus was there to cheer Paul. And so we have those four occurrences of the Lord from His throne appearing and or speaking to His disciples. To Stephen as he's about to die, to, uh, to greet him, to assure him that he has eternal life. To, uh, to Saul, who is lost and an enemy of the gospel, to convert his soul, to save him. But that's so important to the Lord. He shows us its importance that he took time from heaven to speak to a soul in need of the gospel. And that you and I take time to speak to others, loved ones, and neighbors, workmates, friends, that they need the Lord. And then thirdly, he counseled Peter not to be a respecter of persons. And he wants us to love people. He doesn't want us to have a, uh, an angry, proud prejudice. And he wants us to love all people groups and to see that every person is made in the image of God and needs the Lord. And the fourth one was to cheer a saint that was serving him faithfully but was afraid that that uh, trouble was brewing and, and he needed the Lord there to cheer his heart that his labor was not in vain and that actually the Lord told him he was going to uh, to even to save even more people. Now we know that there are some people the Lord has come to and who said you're going to die soon. He told Peter later on, you'll read this in his, in his second epistle, Peter says, the Lord shared with me that, that very soon I'm going to die. And he needed the Lord to comfort him then too, just like Stephen. But what's the take-home message here? That Jesus is seated on his throne and he's, he's ruling. 
and uh, none can stop his reign. And I understand that, that people are still being put to death for their faith, and it's all part of God's plan uh, to, uh, to waken all of us how serious a matter is to, it is to reach souls, and that people should be willing to give their life that the truth might be known and that people might have salvation in the hope of eternal life. There are many Christians in jail right now for their faith. They felt it. the risk was worth it because they felt that the value of souls was more than money could ever buy. And so they are serving the Lord in their prisons. Just like we read of John in prison, Revelation chapter 1, for his faith. And yet God was with him and gave him the whole book of Revelation while he was a prisoner on the island of Patmos. Jesus is not only coronated, he's reigning from heaven. And he's doing, he's doing well. And he will not fail nor be discouraged. He'll save all of his people. And uh, he's there to, to uh, greet us when it's time to die. He's there to, uh, to save sinners. He's still saving. That's part of his reign. He's there to uh, teach us uh, through His Word and by His Spirit that we ought to love people and not be prejudiced and and share the Gospel with whoever we come in contact with. And He's there to to cheer us even in times of of Gospel success lest we be proud and take it to ourselves, the credit, and lest we are overcome with fear about what could happen because the Lord is... uh, is, is using us to honor His name. Jesus is the King. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You that You are not a puppet king. You are not a monarch that has no, that has no sway. We know, Lord, that Your title is, is bona fide. You are the King. That You are the One who is ruling and able to save souls and and able to protect us from our enemies and destroy the works of the devil. And we pray, Lord, that we would keep this in mind, that we have a, a Savior who is seated at the right hand of God, that You're ruling, You're reigning. And Lord, we thank You for the hope of eternal life, by dying for our sins and saving our souls, that You have gone to prepare a place for us. May we never uh, succumb to the fear of death, when the time comes, Lord, that we might use Your Word and remember Your Your kindness to Stephen and know that to be absent from the body will be, will be present with the Lord. And so, please, seal these truths to our hearts. Help us to meditate upon them and to enjoy them. We pray in Your name. Amen.